And here we go. Welcome, everybody. I am Rob Liefeld. You are listening to Observations, the Observations podcast. We continue to crush all of your comic book pop culture into one uh, juicy morsel that we can all digest together today. We are we are jumping straight into what I actually don't believe it's a trope, but this is a this is truly a, what I would call a, a true observation. Um, it, it is something that I picked up in my youth. It is carried with me all the way through my journey of being a comic book consumer con- consumptionist. Uh, and like I said, I don't really like to say collector. I I mean, I don't flip items. I don't sell them. I have all my comic books from my youth. I don't put them up for resale. So. I'm a comic book consumer, but today, the 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 uh, the subject that I wanted to tackle and talk to in at length, and it, and it ties some some disparate different uh, episodes together, uh, uh, it, it bringing kind of into this giant theme about weapons. It's weapons, and it touches all the comic books. It even like came up in a couple recent movies that that I'm watching. And it is about the uh, the popularity uh, of of weapons in 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 myth legends, but but for our purposes and and, and the most important thing, because come on, uh, comic books, comic books. Now at the end of today's episode, we're gonna read some reviews because I I, I love that you guys are leaving um, reviews and sharing the podcast with everybody. I appreciate it so much. It is it is necessary. To uh, to spread the word and 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 help me out, get get more people turned on to this. I can't believe, yeah. I, I keep thinking that we have reached kind of the apex of what what we're capable of, and 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 we keep getting new people. So so let let let's uh, keep it up. The the great thing is uh, one of the uh, one of one of the recent episodes I did about sword and sorcery and, and fantasy, and we're gonna revisit that with a part two really soon. Uh, this this past weekend, after that the episode went live, uh, actually you know late Sunday, somebody said, "Hey, I just listened to that and and, and the thing about uh, you know Stanley Conan the Barbarian, the covers having you know all the big uh, animals on it." And sure enough, you guys, I went through that. There, there's a big snake cover early on in Conan, like like Conan's three, four, five, six. It's big snake, big tiger, big big spider. Um, and and uh, and and then suddenly it's the skeletons and shirtless guy skeletons and and one of you guys told me you were you were um, uh, uh, eager to share with me and I was like that's it because again Stanley told Roy Thomas get these big animals off the Conan covers okay this is covered in the sword and sorcery episode uh, called called uh, yeah sword and, swords and sorcery barbarians at the gate in that episode and Stanley said get skeletons on the cover because Julie Schwartz from DC Comics had said skeletons always sell. And of course, the next thing you see is Conan is surrounded by skeletons. And and then also, Julie Schwartz says, and gorillas sell too, and Conan is actually battling a gorilla. But this person who contacted me said, I am much younger than you, over 10 years younger than you. I entered uh, comic books and my shirtless barbarian was He-Man and he was actually battling a skeleton villain, that being Skeletor. So I'm like, and he's like, Stan knew what he was talking about. And you guys, that is why we're here to jam together. He-Man, Skeleton, Conan, get those animals off the cover, have him battle other people with weapons and also skeletons. But today, weapons, weapons. So here's the deal. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this out. I really own this bit. This is a bit that I believe, no, I know, I own. I uh, started doing a lot more panels around 2015. I, If you've been to my panel at any convention, I have, in the last six years, you know I do not sit at a table. I do not have a moderator. I am my own moderator. I, I don't need anyone to, um, to talk to me. I have enough caffeinated energy, uh, natural juice, that I can get up there and I can entertain you for you know 90 minutes. Now the Image Comics, uh, I think it was 25 years at, at Emerald City. We that's that's all of us together. We had to sit on the couch. We had to use a moderator. Our moderator that day, we were fortunate, was Robert Kirkman, who knows all of us very well and is obviously a partner in Image Comics. But otherwise, when you go see a Rob Liefeld solo panel, I am standing there and I am addressing you the whole time. I go left, right, center on the stage. I walk, I talk at the end. We do questions. But one of these, I I will call it a bit, 
a bit that I share with you, and that bit I've carried with you since the early 70s, is what I'm about to share with you. And I have seen this now. I read this a couple weeks ago, actually describing recent X-Men issues. And they use terminology that I have used the last, I mean, I've done this 60, 70 plus times because sometimes I do two panels a weekend, okay? I have done this at Boston, in Toronto, in New York, in Anaheim, in in, in Oakland, okay? San Francisco. I, I've done this in Wisconsin, okay? I did this in in uh, in Pittsburgh. I did it in in, in Philadelphia. I, I mean, I have, in, in, in my Texas visits, I've done it in Houston. I mean, all over, I have done this bit. I have never heard this bit before. I did this bit. So I, what I'm trying to tell you is I own this bit. And if you, if I see you crib it, I know, even though you're not telling me, you're cribbing me, that you are homaging this thought process that I'm giving you. We're going to start with, because it all comes down to why I believe the X-Men was one of, uh, conceptually, it was very strong, but the actual team, the original team, the original Stan Lee Jack Kirby team was one of their weakest, uh, one of the the, the 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 ones that had the least amount of appeal. I mean, Hulk, boom, Iron Man, boom, Thor, boom, you know, Fantastic Four, Avengers. What went wrong? Why why did the X-Men have to go to reprints in the early 70s? Why was the, you know, for three, three, four years, the X-Men, they kept it out on the stands, on the newsstands, on the spinner racks. Uh, we didn't have comic stores at the time. They kept it out there in order to keep the X-Men trademark going. And in the hopes and dreams that maybe, you know, maybe the next month something would turn around. But it was really just like, look, let's keep this going. We've already paid for the work. Marvel was doing a healthy, I mean, a healthy amount of reprint issues. So it also fit the model. But it was the only flagship, that 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 was their flagship uh, launch title of X-Men. It wasn't renamed or, or re uh, formatted. It was just an issue of X-Men. So, so an X-Men 80 whatever is giving you a reprint of an earlier adventure done sometime in the 60s. Uh, and, and this is how it was going. And if you're not aware of this, this is how it was. I'm telling you, you know, factual information that giant size X-Men, number one, which came out in 1975, the giant size X-Men, which introduces us to Colossus and Sun, not 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 Sunfire. Sunfire had already been introduced, but it introduces us to Nightcrawler and Colossus and Storm. We get X-Men. We we get Wolverine from the Hulk appearances that he's been in. Uh, Banshee comes over because he's Irish. Okay, Sunfire because he's in Japan. You get um you get uh, uh Thunderbird. Okay, we 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 meet Thunderbird. So we get this we get this collection of these exciting new X-Men. And they they actually feature two key things that are going to that that, are, that we're going to discuss at length today because they matter. I believe they matter. They are the most important aspects to our comic book um, excitement, and that excitement translates into popularity, sales, commercial appeal. Okay, and uh, and so when I, when you go to the original X Men, what are the original? The concept of having a school for mutants is great. It is the backbone of the X-Men concept having Xavier, Professor Xavier be the Martin Luther King and, and 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 Magneto function as the Malcolm X, two different approaches to achieving a goal, one peacefully, one aggressively, more violently. Okay. That 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 is kind of the Stan and Jack were very clear and that was the idea behind the 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 construction of the X-Men concept. But the X-Men characters themselves, to a kid like myself, who I've already shared with you. The Avengers was my top book. It was my absolute 100% favorite book. We're going to examine that in a minute. I believe there are very clear and, and present, even to this day, reasons for that. Okay, but the X-Men, the original X-Men. So you got Warren Worthington is the angel. Okay, we're, I'm, going to, I'm going to end with him, not start with him. You got Scott Summers. Scott Summers, who has his Cyclops visor, and his moment of action is he either, you know, generally he yells, so maybe the most dramatic version of this is an upshot, his mouth open, screaming, and a blast coming out of his visor. To make it even more dramatic, he will raise his hand to touch his temple, okay? This is what I have called temple touching. And when I hear other people say temple touching and arm casters, you have sat on my, in my panel, or someone from my panel has told you, oh my gosh, Liefeld's temple touchers and arm casters bit. I have been talking about it 
to anyone who will listen for 30 years, but I have taken it to stage. So if you're in my studio at Extreme, I would do this whole bit about temple touchers and arm casters, okay? Because then, so, so you got a temple toucher. Let's go through the temple touchers. There's Cyclops, he's touching his temple. And Professor Xavier, to activate his, to, to you know, better physically illustrate his telekinetic prowess, his powers, he will touch his temples often. Um, arm casters are Jean Grey. She did a lot of arm casting as if to throw her mental energy towards you. Arm casting. And Iceman was an arm caster because he would, he wouldn't keep his hands at his side. He would throw them out in front of you, right arm, left arm, both and ice blast you. Okay. And, and Beast would bounce around with big feet and big hands. He would bounce around. He would hit the walls, go right, left, center, you know, up, upside, downside, uh, and, and bounce. He was the bouncing beast, okay? And, and and he had big hands and big feet, and he had war glasses, and he was, but not not in his costume, but 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 cost without his costume, he wore the big glasses. He was more studious. He was a big brain, as well as being the bouncing beast. And then you had Warren Worthington. Is it the third? Warren Worthington with his angel wings. And he would, and I do a great job of this on stage, he would flap those wings at you, man. Don't make Angel flap those wings. He is going to Angel flap you, okay? He's going to wing flap you. Or fly, okay? Fly. In a sea of characters that fly in the comic books, right? So, you've got Angel, you've got Cyclops, you've got Iceman, you've got Professor X, the leader, you've got Jean Grey, and they are all either temple touchers or arm casters, okay? And that made up so much of what everything was about in the X-Men. Magneto, what is Magneto doing? He's lowering himself down. He's he's coming, you know, he's 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 descending on his magnetic field and he is arm casting you with his powers, okay? And with his magnetic powers and either ripping your metallic stuff apart or throwing metallic stuff at you or, you know, later using the iron in your blood against you to weigh you down. It's, it's all very, very, very cool and, and intellectual sounding. Arm casters, temple touchers. This is my bit. I own this bit. When I see people take this bit, I'm like, man, you got that for me because I've been around. I've, been, I've done shows. I've never seen Claremont or anybody else break this down. I've been to a million Claremont panels as a kid. So if you hear read arm casters, temple touchers, that's my bit. But but the reason we're doing the bit, because there's a reason for it, is to contrast it. So when I would get these reprints and I would read them and I would see, you know, to me my X-Men. You know, you got Angels flying there, he's flapping those wings as strong as he can. Iceman is coasting on that ice sled. Uh, you know, Marvel Girl is, is is outstretching her hand. Cyclops is running unless he used, needs to t touch that temple, okay? And often when he summoned them, Xavier would also touch his temple. So again, I cannot underscore, when they attacked you and arrived on the scene, you are surrounded by arm casters, temple touchers, and they are going to, you know, take you down. If you are Eunice the Untouchable or the Vanisher or one of the more exciting villains that they would encounter during this time, the the the, the the book was put into reprints for a reason. I am telling you, they were a boring team. They were as constructed. The pieces did not generate excitement. Not when, in contrast, you have the Avengers. And let me tell you about the Avengers book from 1973, 1973, all the way through 1980. The, the apex, uh, the absolute peak era of the Avengers. Nobody argues this. Come on, don't even try. Uh, we got Steve Englehart to Jim Shooter to Dave Michelini. During that time, we, we we got George Perez, we got John Byrne, okay? And, and a healthy, healthy dose. Sometimes you got George Tuska prior to that. You got some Dave Cockrum annuals. After that, you got Al Milgram. You got, uh, you got, you got Phyllis Galore. You got some Greg LaRoque. You got some Gene Colan. But nobody, uh, none of these fan favorite electric big needle moving artists were there and with Jim Shooter, Michelini and Steven Englehart, these are the stories that are considered their their greatest Avengers tales, okay? So, but during this time, let's go through the lineup, okay? You have Thor. What does Thor have? He has an Uru hammer. U R U. At least that's how I grew up understanding it. The Uru hammer. He can throw that hammer. He can clobber you with that hammer. He can he holds it in his fist, he strikes you with it like you would a sword. But obviously his hammer he throws it, it comes back to him. He can twirl it. 
There are many, he can smash the ground with it. That hammer is an all-purpose badass weapon. I would give Thor's hammer maybe best weapon in comics. Best weapon in comics. You'd say, no, 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 but what about Cap Shield? Well, what about it? It's number two. Cap Shield, awesome. Also throws it, comes back to him because he can manipulate it and bounce it off all these different walls. And as we saw in that great sequence in Falcon and Winter Soldier, or for my purposes, Falcon and Bucky, he would... They kept throwing it at trees and targets and, and ricocheting it back to him. It was a great scene. It really underscored, like, overscored, like, the, the appeal of the shield. But obviously, it takes on firepower, and it can slice things, as John Walker proved to us in that crucial episode four, where he um, uh, looked like he disemboweled a, 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 a young man, and, and there was blood on that shield. So, so sharp edges, the shield can be used as an aggressive weapon and obviously as a defensive weapon. So Thor's hammer, cap shield... Those are just two of the weapons that were being boasted during this outstanding lineup of the Avengers because then you have, wait for it, Hawkeye. Hawkeye the Ace Archer, okay? He has an entire array of arrows. Some are going to pin you to the wall. Some are going to knock you out with the, with the, with the, their gas arrows. Some are going to electrocute you with jolt arrows. Some are going to have an extra line to swing on. I mean, the, the the Hawkeye bow and arrow, which is a long-standing continuation, began, to, to, to my knowledge as a kid, Green Arrow was my first kind of archer that I saw do this stuff. But Hawkeye is the, you know, continuation of that. And so now you have in Hammer, a shield, you have the bows and the arrows. Now, Black Widow was going through the Avengers lineup at this time. She had her stinging line, her... Uh, we've seen Scarlett Johansson. She shoots a line. It's kind of like a controlled thread. Uh, not It's not organic like Spider-Man's, but it's a tight, sometimes a titanium line. She can whip it around you, pull you towards her. Uh, she can choke you. She can swing on it. It is, in fact, a weapon. She can, you know, grab you by the ankles, pull you out from under yourself. Again, she can, you know, spit it onto another hand and use it as a rope to gat you and, and choke you with, okay? So so Black Widow had her widow's line. What is Iron Man if he is not a, a weapon from head to toe? A weapon from head to toe. All different applications on that armor. All different applications. It can open up. It can have different functionalities. His, his hand blasters have different applications. He can have wheels. Wheels have come out of the bottom of his, you know, skates have come out of his shoes in the comic books that I enjoyed. He has got all sorts of different weaponry built into his armor, which in and of itself is a weapon. So, so we got Thor's hammer, Captain America's shield, Hawkeye's bows, Black Widow's line, Iron Man in and of himself, okay, is is a weapon. In, in, in From complete, you know, his complete uh, conception, he is a weapon. So now here's the deal. And this is why the 70s is so important because during that t period, they had, drum roll please, da -da 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 -da, the swordsman, you guys. Next to the hammer and the shield and the bow and the line and the armor was the swordsman. The swordsman wielded, wait for it, yes, you guessed it, a sword, a sword. He wielded, he wielded a sword and not only did that sword slice you and he could do great like Errol Flynn. If you want to know who Errol Flynn is, Google him. It's E-R-O-L-L, -L, I believe. Flynn, it'll, it'll come up and finish it in Google. Errol, he was absolutely the swashbuckler in an Errol Flynn uh, framework uh, inspired by Errol Flynn. And here's the deal. Not only could he slice you with it, the sword blasted you because everything could blast you in superhero comics. You point the sword, energy is released, blast you so he can blast a hole in that wall before running through that wall and then gadding you with his sword. You guys, swords, hammers, shields, full-length weaponized armor, bows and arrows, and, um, and titanium lines that were fired at you. That is what the Avengers were wielding on any given day, on any given cover. Thor is running at you, leading with his hammer, Shield is behind, uh, Cap is with you, behind you, running with that shield. Hawkeye is in motion, pulling that bow and arrow. I mean, you get these applications of weapons all over the place. This is why The Avengers was my absolute favorite comic book. I mean, when they would battle Ultron, arrows are flying, the shield is going, and the Uru hammer is incoming, bouncing off of Ultron's hide. This is absolutely exciting. It's visually enticing. It is it is. It was a thrill to watch the Avengers 
and all of their weapons show up. Because which weapon is going to be the one that beats you down? Now, did they have their arm caster, Scarlet Witch? Yes, they did. She stood in the back as the hammers and shields and arrows and swords were engaged, okay? And, 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 and again, Iron Man always there ready to enact his entire weaponized armor. So very exciting, uh, whether it's the cover of Avengers 150 um, or Avengers 149 or, you know, these are really great comic books that I remember, you know, very fondly. And uh, the, the, the Avengers were always depicted using so many of their various weapons. So to me, the Avengers were excited. They had the weapons. As a kid, I loved the weapons. So I'm going to say this one more time. Weapons matter. Okay. Weapons of mass construction. Okay. That, that is because, because if you constructed it with weapons, it was better, especially when here comes, you know, led by a dude in a wheelchair. This is kids. These are kids. This is, I'm, I'm going from my seven, eight, nine year old, 10 year old perspective. Okay. Which team looked more exciting? Uh Oh, here comes the, here comes the angel. He's flapping those wings. Don't, uh Oh, Cyclops. He, he made, he may strike a dynamic pose and, and touch his temple. Now a ray, a bolt of a ray is going to come after you out of his visor, but is that as exciting as 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 a hammer, as a shield, as a bow and arrow, um, as 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 an aggressive titanium line, as a sword that can blast you? So again, I think I've made my point here. The Avengers were the weapon wielding team. The X Men were the temple touchers and arm casters. Now you go, but Rob, nobody is wielding a weapon. On the Fantastic Four, you're right. And here's where we enter the other key aspect. This is, in fact, a trope. This is a trope, a successful trope of, of, of comic books across the board. They had the thing. And the thing was the culmination of the all-important comic book trope called the brawler. The brawler. Who had a brawler? The defenders had a brawler. They had two of them. They had the thing. I mean, I'm sorry, they had the Hulk and they had Submariner, Prince Namor, okay? So Defenders had two brawlers that were always coming at you with their fists. You want to know how important fists are? The Invincible cartoon. We've all gone crazy over it. We couldn't believe how great it was from episode one. We couldn't believe that it ended as great as it did with issue eight. And every issue, those fists got some workout in those fists literally were punching through people's guts, ripping people in half, tearing abdomens as if a knife, as a like a hot knife through butter. Um, those fists were weapons. You got brawlers, invincible. You got Omni-Man. You got invincible himself. These are brawlers. They are th slugging it out. They are punching. So what was, who was the brawler on the X-Men? There is no brawler. The Avengers had Thor, brawler, okay? They, 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 he would brawl you at, with his hammer, no less, okay? You, Iron Man was capable of brawling, super strength, aggressive, okay? You, you, you had um, the Vision, very, very strong, could make himself as dense and as hard as a diamond and punch the crap out of you, okay? The Thing, it's clobberin' time. That's his moniker. It's clobberin' time. It's time to smash your ass. It's time to kick your butt, okay? It's clobbering time. He's coming to you with those big rock-covered fists, and he's going to punch you, and it's going to hurt, and he's going to punch through walls, and he's going to smash uh, all the debris that's being thrown at him by another brawler, namely the Hulk, okay? So so, so uh, the thing was maybe one of the premier brawlers alongside the Hulk who was in the original Avengers lineup. These are premier brawlers. So what was the X-Men missing? A brawler. The Defenders had a brawler. When the champions were formed, Hercules, the strongest man in the Marvel Universe, one of the strongest men in mythology, they had a brawler leading the way. Ironically, two of the X-Men on the champions while they were in reprints, Angel, Iceman. So you got your temple toucher, arm caster, and your wing flapper, okay? But Black Widow had her line. She was part of the champions. And Ghost Rider rode his motorbike and shot fire at you. And it doesn't matter because he was a flaming skullhead. And we all know that skeletons sell, okay? Skeletons sell. Ask the Punisher. Ask Todd McFarlane. Skeletons sell. Bard! So, here's the deal. The X-Men was absent all of this until Giant Size X-Men, number one. And here we go. And there they came. Because you got Wolverine. I would, I believe Wolverine's claws are uh, exhibition 
A, you know, of the most popular weapons in comic books. Kids like me popped to him in a way that, that, that I had not popped to any character previously or since. Three knives, three claws, each hand, swinging at you, slicing, dicing, deflecting. Um, when Frank Miller came along, he made those claws bigger, meatier, juicier, thicker, sharper. And uh, we were all along for the ride and we never looked back. Even Daredevil, my friends, even Daredevil has a weapon. That billy club. Whether it was Gil Kane, whether it was Wally Wood, whether it was Frank Miller, that billy club, he could break it in two. It had a line. Also, again, the choking mechanism. But he bounced it around. It was a stick that had ricochet applications that was hitting the floor, hitting your face, hitting the floor, hitting your gut. And when all else failed, Daredevil would club you with it. He, he would literally beat you down um, into submission with his club, his Billy Club, okay? So Daredevil carries a weapon. Spider-Man's webs are his weapon. He, you know, is throwing ropes, lines on you, pulling you, tugging you, swimming, uh, swinging on them, okay? Spider-Man has a weapon. Daredevil, for the love of Pete, had a weapon. No one had a weapon on the original X-Men. But giant-sized X-Men, we have Wolverine. But that's not enough. Not only do we have six knives coming at you, right, left, right, left, whenever Wolverine wants to slice and dice you. Because now the X-Men have weapons, baby. And they're going to take those weapons all over the top. But what do they also have? What do they also have? So I have covered this before in some of the histories of the X-Men. But what you need to know, without any doubt whatsoever, is that Colossus was designed to be the star of the X-Men because they said, we now have our, repeat after me, Brawler, everyone. Brawler. They had a brawler. Colossus, super tall, silver, also in primary colors. Red, yellow. Um, yeah, red and yellow. And the and the slight blue tint on his silver armor. He was seen. And, and if you go and you look at all of the X-Men covers during that time, Colossus is always, always front and center. The issues where he's battling Juggernaut, okay, front and center Colossus. Giants has X-Men number one. Front and center, Colossus, okay? Colossus is key on so many of the earlier, earliest covers. X-Men number 100, um, Colossus. X-Men 99, Colossus, punching through space bubbles, okay? Uh, Colossus was designed, and, and, and Dave Cockrum and Len Wein, both who created Colossus, will tell you that the design was that he would be the breakout character because he fell in line with the popular trope of Big guy slash brawler, okay? Now you go, Superman is that role on the Justice League. I knew it on the Super Friends. I mean, he he exhibited strength on his own cartoon. Whenever it would roll a solo cartoon, it would show you all his feats of strength. He could, he could absorb comets. Comets would hit him. He would punch meteors out of his way in space. He obviously can lift things. I never really cared about him leaping in a single bound. He flew, but the strength, the absolute dominant strength that uh, Cal L, the last son of Krypton, exhibited. He is Justice League, the Justice League brawler. So again, you know, uh, when I got into forming Youngblood, it was so in Avengers-inspired, but we are actually skipping over X-Force, which takes my love of gear and weapons to the next level. But but on, and on both X-Force and Youngblood, I doubled down with both with weapons and with brawlers. But Wolverine would not be overshadowed by Colossus, if you know your history of the X-Men. And he became the absolute breakout star because we love nothing more than angry little hairy men, preferably from Canada, who are trapped at the bottom of a sewer, who are going to rise above with muck and mire and scum from the sewer all over them and wave their claws vengefully saying, next issue, I'm going to get you, bub. Okay? that That is... That, that, that sequence that ended uh, um, maybe maybe X-Men 128, uh, where, where, where I think it is Leland uh, makes Wolverine so dense that he falls through several stories into the sewers of New York City. And then we see him rise up and pop those claws and he's covered in muck and mire. And if Todd was here, he'd say, the muck and the mire, the, the, the muck and the mire with the claws. Okay, uh, Wolverine is... Uh, is, is brandishing those knives. And we, I was sitting at my friend's house in his dad's leather chair. I had picked up that issue on the way home and I could not believe that Wolverine was up from the depths of the sewage and that panel, you know, promising the conflict to come in the next issue, waving those claws. 
gleaming, sharp. I knew exactly the message it was sending. John Byrne, a Canadian himself, came on the X-Men book and was determined to make Wolverine the breakout character. And he did. It worked. Um, obviously, the, the we've covered an entire episode of, of the Wolverine miniseries where Chris Claremont and Frank Miller came together to maximize his popularity and, and, and that became the number one book. So suddenly now you have a book led by brawlers and with the most popular, on their way to being the most popular weapons in comics. And it worked. The X-Men was instantly, now you can say, oh, but Rob, the diversity as well. It, it was The X-Men was much more interesting with Aurora, with a representative, you know, uh, 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 for the African nation in in uh, in Storm slash Aurora. And you had, again, the Irishman in Banshee. You had a J uh, Japanese hero in Sunfire. You had a German, was dies? Uh, was das? Um, um, all the German things that, that, that they would repeatedly have Nightcrawler say and do and, and, and act and, and, and talk about his ancestry. And, uh, and, and, the, and then you had the Russian, our brawler was from Russia in, in the middle of the Cold War. We had a good guy. We had a good Russian on our, on our X-Men team. The international flavor was fantastic. And when the, the, the year, I've gone over this, the year that they spent taking the X-Men all around the globe from Antarctica to, you know, the jungles of Savage Land, to Japan, um, all the way back through Canada, and then finally back in New York City. That was extremely exciting. And, uh, you know, that, 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 that international flavor really uh, was the giant flex that, that, that kids like me, we couldn't get enough of what was going on in the X-Men. And it was during that time that the X-Men went from a lower-selling comic book to the best-selling comic book in, in comics, and it never looked back. And it didn't look back because... It now was a book that had a brawler and a book that boasted weapons. So, so now you've got weapons on par with and brawlers on par with the best-selling Marvel comics. That's why one of the reasons, besides the intrigue, you had your 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 brawler, your super shiny giant Russian armored brawler in Colossus, and then you had your Wolverine, who also to go along with those claws had his berserker rage that he would fly into when he would just, you know, massacre people left and right. And, and, and they did a very good job at the time covering up like, did he just murder all those people? And of course, editor-in-chief um, Jim Shooter addressed this in many different um, articles. It was very, um, very clear in one of the Savage Land episodes that a couple of the um, native guards that were um, guarding Garrock's palace that, uh, that, that Wolverine, in fact, sliced and diced them and killed them. And, and, and they wanted to address whether it was some remorse or some sense of justice for the fact that there was an X-Men who was straight up killing people. Because, of course, uh, Captain America was not straight up killing people. Thor was not straight up killing people. The Thor comics at that time, many of them took place in Asgard. And he would be, Thor would be joined by the Warriors 3. Okay, so, I mean, right there, the, the, these kick-ass characters called the Warriors 3. Fandral... Uh, had his sword and Volstag had his mace. So again, we are we are looking at weapons. I think Volstag also had a sword, but he was so much bigger that you were always just looking at how gigantic and 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 what a huge enormous figure um, that Volstag was. But you, so, so when when uh, when Thor would travel to Asgard and fight alongside his Asgardian brothers, he is wielding his hammer. Um, Volstag has his mace. Fandral has his sword. Volstag has a sword. Um, then you've got Balder the Brave, who had a sword. Um, Hemadol had a sword. Some guys had lances and spears. But Asgard was rife with weapons, which kind of made it um, the Nordic Conan the Barbarian. I mean, John Buscema also did a extensive stint on Thor. And as I've covered in the Sword and Sorcery episode, I believe it was for the same purposes that, that he liked doing Thor because of the vistas, the landscapes, not... Um, you know, cityscapes and buildings and architecture. It was more of these incredible, whether it was the Rainbow Bridge or the kind of um, uh, neo, uh, 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 you know, uh, the 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 neo mythical landscapes of Asgard. And and I think I think uh, John John Buscema really loved doing fantasy stuff and and that it lended he to his powerful figures. And somebody always had a sword or a mace or an axe in their hands. And so again, so in the in, in the X Men culture, Wolverine having claws created villains with claws. Whether it was Lady Deathstrike, obviously Sabretooth pivoted over from Iron Fist, uh, and and he himself 
had his claws that he would match up against Wolverine's claws. And so again, we are now seeing an all-new era. The X-Men, the age of the Temple Toucher and the Armcaster is over because Colossus leads with his fists in a way that no one on the original X-Men did. Wolverine is slashing and thrashing with his uh, with his claws, and then Storm would take to the air and summon a great a great you know uh, you know lightning storm or, or 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 cast thunder, and so you get you get a lot of different applications, a lot of different action. Then later on, I mean they get they have the Ravagers who are all uh, wielding machine guns and different sorts of weaponry. You've got Forge who comes in who actually constructs and makes his mutant powers that he can like construct anything. And he's that, that that is his um that is his special application and he carries guns and weapons um not to the extent that someone like Cable would because by the time Cable gets there and again I'm looking at a new mutants lineup that has a a, a girl dressed like Madonna in 1982 when the book is in 1989 and and Richter is dressing like Billy Idol during his Rebel Yell 1983 stint. I mean, these characters were horribly outdated. They had boring costumes. They were wearing street clothes, and they're and 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 again, we got a lot of arm. What 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 we were re, what had we returned to with the new mutants lineup that I inherited? Temple touchers and arm casters. Uh, Richter would out throw his those arms, and he would make the ground shake. You had Rusty and Skids, who both had arm casting capabilities. You had Boom Boom, I guess, who threw sparklers at you. But through all of this. Cable comes busting down the door to keep this weaponry fascination that I have alive and well. And he has swords, and he has knives, and he has giant made-up guns because I didn't want to draw, as I've covered before, I didn't want to draw um, Punisher guns because that was Punisher's thing, that he drew real military, that he carried real military hardware. The pe- hardware, the people on the Punisher books would have guns and ammo and the military magazines, and, they, and, and I, I saw the lines. For the guys who did the Punisher books, it was always Marines, it was Army guys, it was uh, Navy SEALs, ex-SEALs, existing SEALs, just pining over their love of how Frank Castle was using um, state-of-the-art weaponry. Well, I didn't want to compete with that. I wanted to do big, giant, made-up guns, and now I'm seeing in in my Twitter feed, people are sharing with me how the military are using like Rob Liefeld vacuum cleaner-looking Pulsar weapons, the kind of which I put around Cable who wields them from his very first appearance and it never um, never looks back. The guns only get bigger and more crazy and more absurd and more fun. Okay? Somebody was like, uh, John Romita Jr., when he did Cable, was trying to out Liefeld Liefeld. He certainly was. He was taking the guns that I had created and trying to make them bigger and more um, out of control. I think there there's a gun, uh, there's a there's an illustration that always gets confused with me that, that, that is shown in, in, in some memes that was actually drawn by Greg Capullo where he looks like a giant Swiss army knife. It is it is actually I, I like to me the first time cable was memed in the fact that he is he he has so many spikes and blades and and and, and pouches and, and giant guns hanging off him. He literally looks like a walking Swiss army knife. But this is what Cable brought with him to the book by design. Weapons and emphasis on weapons. When Deadpool came in, he had weapons. He had knives and guns. Domino came in. She had throwing knives. Shatterstar came in. What is what is as good as a sword? Better is a sword with two blades on the same hilt. Okay, And that is what Shatterstar brought to the table. So now you had your Cable with his big mech tech guns and you had also always also with a sword nearby many times utilizing a sword or a blade and also you had Deadpool and Domino with their blades so everybody Feral had Wolverine kind of claws more along the lines of what Sabretooth wielded but again we are looking at weapons what what differentiated G.I. Joe when it relaunched in the mid 80s 1983 1984 from the adventure team predators that I loved Remember, I have waxed nostalgic telling you about the early G.I. Joe with the eagle eye. Okay, that was the excitement. You bought it and you could look through the back of his head and it was a you know lens that could focus like a telescope. It was his eagle eye. Later on, they gave him a rubber grip that you could peel the, the, the fingers back and it would, it would, it, they would go back into position. They called that the Kung Fu grip. It's on the box behind me, on the shelf behind me where I have my G.I. Joe displayed. Then there's the, they had like a chopping action Again, because this is during the time, as we've covered in my podcast episode, Kung Fu Fighting, when everything went martial arts in the mid to late 70s. So, so, but you didn't have a lot of weapons. You had, you had Kung Fu action, karate, 
you know, a big, you know, hold your breath moment where you look through that eagle eye lens and it was exciting. It was exciting for the first, you know, few minutes that you did it when you got it. But G.I. Joe was absent all the weapons that the new real American hero line would bring with it in terms of torpedoes, grenade launchers, all manner of pistols, rifles, blades. Then you had ninjas jam, jam in there, okay? Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow have all of their katanas and throwing stars and different knives along with the karate and the kung fu action. I mean, this is, this is an absolute tour de force of weapons when G.I. Joe returns. And that, that the theme of this episode is weapons, and we have embraced them whole hog. Thundar the Barbarian and He-Man both have weapons, swords. The trope in mythology and in so many of the movies and the stories that we love is the object of desire. In Raiders of the, Lo of the Lost Ark, the object of desire is the Ark itself, which has the power of God. Awesome. And at the end, it is a very cool and visual um, you know, uh, display of that power of God when they unearth and... and, and take the lid off the Ark of the Covenant. But getting there, sometimes it's not an Ark of the Covenant. Sometimes it's the, you know, sword of power. It's Excalibur, okay? It's 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 um it's a staff. You know, Gandalf. What did Gandalf have? He's an old ass wizard. Uh and, and yet he is knocking people on the head, battling, you know, throwing goblins and orcs out of his way with his very long, powerful staff. And that staff also has mystical you know, properties. He uses it to channel his power. Okay. Saruman met him uh, with, with weapons, stabs as well. So you've got even your supernatural, your occult characters. Um, Marvel was, was <laughs> Marvel was publishing a book that I was absolutely forbidden from collecting and was terrified. If my parents had found this out to this day, I still have that terror of it. But man, uh, uh, <laughs> Marvel put out a book called The Son of Satan. Okay. Damien Hellstrom, the son of Satan. And he was so rad looking because he had horns coming out of his head and he had a giant trident, a giant trident from the gates of hell that had hellfire that he would spew from it. This is a visual component that was hard to deny even when you are a Bible Baptist thumping minister's son, okay? And, and then later they put son of Satan in the defenders and I was like, oh man, I gotta hide these issues. But uh, th there was a reprint recently when, uh, when Hulu was doing their uh, Damon Hellstrom, I think they called it Hellstrom, maybe Hellstorm, uh, their show adapting this, and I, that Marvel put out the $1 reprints of the first appearances of the Son of Satan, and I, I was still, my seven-year-old self was trembling as I purchased that as my 50-year-old self, because I'm like, oh man, mom and dad are not going to approve of this comic Son of Satan. But again, capitalizing on the supernatural and uh, mystical occult uh, era that was also like strong as the martial arts era that we've already visited and, and, and definitely a supernatural um, uh, occult episode and how it just got into all your comic books is definitely coming your way. But but they did not just give, you know, they didn't rely on the fact that he was the son of Satan and could clearly, you know, clearly the devil's son and, and could do all sorts of mystical things. They gave him a trident and that trident would not only skewer you, and stick you like a pig, again, it blasted you with hellfire, okay? Even Silver Surfer's weapon, Silver Surfer's surfboard has been used as a weapon. He has kicked it out from under him at super speed and knocked it into people, cleared crowds with it. It comes back to him just like so many Marvel weapons. The shield comes back. The, 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 the hammer comes back. The surfboard comes back. The cosmic surfboard. Not just relying on his blast that come out of his hands, he, the surfboard could rise up and shield shield him from, from incoming fire. And uh, again, it could be hurled like a missile. So so even Silver Surfer had weaponry. Uh, the the <laughs> When Daredevil was reborn under Frank Miller's pen, as we have covered here 100,000 times, greatest comic book ever, uh, Daredevil not only had his brutal uh, uh, billy club, but when he, his villains now became sword, katana-bearing ninjas from the hand, um, and his kind of nemesis new love interest was Elektra, and she carried those two very signature size with her, S-A-I, okay? And those are these ancient weapons that, you know, kids like me in 1980 are seeing that for the first time. You know, maybe I saw it hanging on a wall in, 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 in Game of Death or um, some of the, uh, some of the, Mar the Bruce Lee movies, 
maybe Enter the Dragon. I knew I knew of nunchucks, but I did not know of the size and these. They're like mini tridents that you ha- that you hold in your hand. And uh, and my my son was really into martial arts weaponry uh, when he was you know roughly like like uh, like ten eleven and he was in throwing stars and and we even even in the garage now they've been retired to the garage but there are Electra's size these steel I mean could I skewer you with them I could they are weapons they are exciting are there GI Joe characters that also boast those those weapons there are okay but Electra was the first time I'd actually ever seen it even our beloved Batman you guys. What does he have? He has a utility belt. What's in that utility belt? Weapons. Weapons are in that utility belt. And not only, maybe he was one of the earliest with his Batarang, which I thought kind of was goofy. He would throw the Batarang. Something else also that returns to you, like, like you know, like Cap Shield, like 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 the Thor, uh, Thor's hammer, like Silver Surfer's surfboard. Again, it has a boomerang component. Everything has a boomerang component in, in, in the Marvel Universe. The uh, The bottom line... Is that is that the batarang would be thrown, knock you on the head, conk you on the skull, and come back? But Frank Miller decided that again, per the Wolverine popularity with the claws, and it, this was the first time I actually saw it in Dark Knight. Uh, he put them between his, he t- he took his batarangs and put them between his fingers. This is Batman, and they were now de facto claws. And those same batarangs that used to conk you on your forehead were slicing you open, and they were drawing blood. And it was more vicious and more visceral in a way that Batman, I had not seen him before. Not only then did Frank take the Batmobile, um, um, really Batman's you know mobile weapon of choice, but he made it a giant hulking tank in the pages of Dark Knight. This when it, and, and the and the the, me, the the vision, every kid in 1986 who turned that page, and you saw Batman on what was almost like a two-story tank. Like he's minuscule. Uh, it was great to see Zack Snyder in the uh, in his Justice League cut do that one pan, where to, when when kind of everything is reset and they've defeated Darkseid and it's we're on to the new age right before the future Flash. You see Batman on his giant Frank Miller tank sized Batmobile, but again it had giant cannons on it. It would blast through everybody. Chris Nolan did a version of that in. Um, in his Batman movies, and it was very much different than the Batmobile we had seen before, but make no doubt it was inspired by Frank Miller's decision to weaponize Batman's artillery and his arsenal. And so, I mean, we have been doing this for almost an hour, but we are really hitting the point of weapons, weapons, weapons. And and, and Wolverine, who became the premier, most popular character in comics, it is not, um, you know, an accident that he is wielding three knives, three long blades on each hand, both used to routinely slice, dice, disembowel his opponents. And they're scary, okay? You are walking along and someone is charging at you with six knives, you will turn the other direction. You will run. You will not meet those knives head on. And and they make for great posing and great action shots. Hence, again, upping the popularity. It is hard to make Warren Worthington flapping those wings exciting. There's only so many angel poses in the history of angel poses. Do you guys remember a movie with Paul Bettany called Legion? And he is, it came out maybe 2010, 2011. He is an angel sent down to save humanity from the judgment of God. What is the first thing he does? He cuts his wings off and he he grabs all of the machine guns and the pistols that he can. And the movie poster was like this angel just geared out to the teeth with guns and swords and armaments, okay? So it's even funny. It's kind of like, hey, Warren Worthington, those wings, they ain't doing you much good. You just as soon um, carve them off. In fact, if you remember, Walt Simonson takes over X-Factor, and they take Angel from being the the dainty wind flapper to Archangel. He now has steel per apocalypse meddling. And by his construction, Angel becomes Archangel. Cooler name. He gets steel wings that throw knives. Each of the quote-unquote steel feathers is throwing you sharp knives. Much like Wolverine, Archangel has now been weaponized. Okay? Weapons of mass construction, people. This you build them, and they will come, and your audience will increase. And the history of comics is 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 a testament to this. So, just a few weeks ago, we all saw King Kong versus Godzilla. Okay, and what happened in that movie? 
And this is a perfect note to wrap this all up and it really encapsulates everything that we've been discussing today. Godzilla, the whole point of the first and the second act is to get Godzilla back to where he came from, where the Titans rose and go into Middle Earth, the, the center of the Earth, the Earth's core, where we see there's this entire differently gravitational field and all this different, um, you know, lo locals and, and, and environments, locales. And, and what is Kong's purpose there? He is going to the ancient throne room that his ancestors ruled from. There's a giant throne, and what is on that throne is a giant kind of axe blade. It's like kind of an axe, kind of a blade, kind of a sword axe. And it is his giant weapon. It is the first time I've ever seen King Kong wield a weapon. But in the trailers, they knew that it would excite you because he is jumping midair, Michael Bay, slow-mo moment, wielding that giant uh, blade axe as he is about to lower it into his battle and thrust it into Godzilla, okay? And if you've seen the movie, it's been several weeks. I don't feel like we're, we're, we're spoiling anything, but if you want to stop now and you don't want the spoilers, go ahead and turn it off because I'm, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it until you've been given a chance to say, I haven't seen Kong Godzilla. I'm not going to listen any further. Liefeld is going to tell me something that I don't want to hear because I don't want it spoiled. Well, there is your spoiler. So, 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 so I've given you fair warning because at the end of the movie, our sword axe is then ignited via Godzilla's energy, you know, blast of energy breath that he blasts the blade, energizing it, turning it, in fact, into a lightsaber sword axe so that he can slice through the titanium metal that is Mecha Godzilla. And Godzilla kind of looks knowingly like this is now he and King Kong are going to team up. And, 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 and Kong is wielding his mega giant blade that he got from the Earth's core, a weapon of his ancestors. And Godzilla blasts it, ignites it. It, 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 it's glowing. It's like a lightsaber. And what does he do? He slices Godzilla's arms off and, and, and there's oil, giant oil being sprayed that, that is a stand-in for, for, for all the, you know, what would otherwise be blood. And, and so King Kong has been weaponized. He now has his giant blade, his weapon, and he looks cool. Gotta be honest. Is that an upgrade? It is. It's a costume upgrade. It's a visual representation upgrade. Now Kong has a badass. Let's give him a spear. Let's give him a shield. Let's not stop there. Okay. The weapons are cool. Weapons of mass construction. They make the character. They make the character more interesting. Let's go back to all of the times I have waxed nostalgic on Star Wars. The lightsaber to this day blew me away when Obi-Wan, when Vader wields those lightsabers. The the spit of the blade, it, it ignites the zing, zing. I mean, guys, when Luke Skywalker is working that blade out in Obi-Wan's Adobe on, on Tatooine, I'm like, I, I need one of those. We all did. We all did. We all do. And and, and George knew this. And that's why the Phantom Menace and, 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 the, and the prequels double down on lightsabers. I mean, General Grievous is collecting lightsabers, a fallen Jedi that he's slain himself, wielding four at a time. Um, all of the different Jedi Knights, and and this is an elegant weapon, not a crude weapon like a blaster, you know, Obi-Wan surmises. And of course, if you liked Han Solo, it's because he was a cowboy. He carried a blade, okay? I mean, I mean, he carried a gun. He carried a sidearm. Han Solo had his cowboy gun. The, 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 the Jedi Knights were more like, you know, Arthurian Knights. They carried, you know, elegant weapons, you know, the lightsabers, which obviously are very powerful, can absorb all manner of, of, of blast. But it, I mean, that entire franchise as a kid to me was boiled down to side blasters and, la and laser swords, otherwise known as lightsabers. So even all of the iconography of Star Wars is wrapped up in these weapons. You know, they used it. I mean, in the last, uh, in the rise of Skywalker, what's what do they tease us with? In, in a dark memory. And we kind of all knew from the trailer that this was kind of something that was imagined, but but she has like a multi-pronged blade. Ray shows this multi-pronged pronged lightsaber blade and 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 you know i mean uh, uh uh kylo ren had his his open you know fire chambers exhausts in his lightsaber it was more like a, a smoking fire sword i mean we really lean into this as heavy as we can because we love weapons the weapons of mass construction get our attention from wolverine to thor's hammer to cap shield to hawkeye's bows and arrows to iron man being a weapon from head to toe himself when I was a kid, Jack Kirby introduced Machine Man. One of the reasons I, I he was one of my favorite of all time Jack Kirby designs is because his eyes popped out of his head, his arms would, would, would open and retract, and his hands could shoot off. All the different coils could wrap around you and choke you. His 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 feet got got um, 
rollerblades on them. At one point, he leans. Oh, he 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 goes into like a squat position on all fours, and he became like like a jeep. Okay, like machine man constructing different weapons and gear. That's exciting. X Force Youngblood. I trade in this. I trade in this to this day. There is no doubt. No, make no you know mystery about it. I like shoulder pads. I like knee pads. I like elbow pads. I like. Um, I like big guns, small guns, double-edged swords, single blades, single swords, throwing knives. That's, I love that. And that's why my characters always boast a weapon. I like weapons. I think weapons are more dynamic. They're more interesting. Otherwise, you are in the original failed model of the Temple Casters and the, the Temple Touchers and the Arm Casters. Again, that is a bit I perfected on stage in all of my different convention shows. When we get back to conventions... I will be back on the stage. It is a bit I will do again. I love striking those dramatic arm caster temple toucher poses um, that, that failed to ignite a generation in the original X-Men. Great characters, dull in terms of design of team. Why were they in reprints for three and a half years? Why did the, the giant size X-Men punch their way out of it? They got their brawler and they got a character who had six knives, okay? And, and, and the rest is history. And that is what happens when we bring weapons, okay? When 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 we, when we showcase our characters who have all these different weapons, and 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 I mean, come on, I, I don't think Marvel is complaining. The success of X Men begat, of course, X Factor, which gave you Archangel, who now throws, has metal wings with with metal blades that he throws in mass. I've drawn X Factor. I know how fun it is to draw those blades firing out of his wings as he throws them at you. Uh, and, and from there you got Cable and Domino and Shatterstar and there was no looking back and the weapons were here to stay and the, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the bottom line and he, and here, here's, here's, um, you know, the, 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 I think the proof is in the pudding that weapons, um, proved to be the catalyst, not just for the X-Men franchise and turning it around, but the enduring popularity of the Avengers franchise. Again, hammer, shield, bone arrow, swordsman. Okay. Uh, and 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 then the brawler component, which is prominent in all the successful team books, that was missing. Okay, because being a brawler and using your fists, like with Invincible, those bloody bloody fists that punch through people's heads and skulls and and abdomens, th those are weapons in and of themselves. The X Men was absent that. So so we have absolutely GI Joe came back with a flurry of weapons and weaponized characters, and 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 again, you just see the appeal of weapons which is why this episode is called Weapons of Mass Construction. So thank you again for joining me on this crazy journey where we, today, we just we just went right straight to the facts, the figures, the history behind weapons in comics, weapons with comic characters, weapons in mythic lore and popular culture, whether it's Star Wars. You know, I didn't give Excalibur nearly enough time it deserved. The entire tale is around a mystical sword. The Sword of Power! Merlin says in Excalibur, in Excalibur. But um, I promised you guys, um, as I would each and every time, I want to I I thank you for leaving all of these amazing and wonderful reviews. You guys are blowing it up. Um, I, I'm going to, to share a couple today. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to um, share this one from Brandon L78. Brandon L78, you were nice enough to drop me a review. It says, I am so, so glad that Rob started Rob's Observations. I enjoy hearing Rob's insights on the comics industry, hearing his personal experiences as both a superstar artist, creator, and fan, and learning about comics history in general. To me, comma, this is the best podcast ever, and I hope it continues for as long as Rob can, can hold out. Okay, uh, Brandon L78, are you my mom? Come on. Uh, if you are, mom, thank you for masquerading as Brandon L78 uh, and saying these nice things. Otherwise, Brandon, thank you. Uh, thank you sincerely for saying this that, 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 this, that, that this is one of your favorite podcasts. Uh, I'm going to continue doing it. It says, honestly, this podcast got me started actively collecting bronze and silver age comics again after not even buying comic books for more than 20 years. Thank you, Rob. That's what this is about, getting you to re-embrace your love of comic books and pop culture and, and, and finding the connections and the tethers of whatever everything that we are watching today really, honestly, is has an origin in a comic book. And and thank you so much for that, Brandon L78. I am going to read this <clears throat> wonderful review from DJ Kiwakane. 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 K-E-A-W-E-K-A-N-E. Kane, I get that. DJ Kiwakane. It, it says, hits the sweet spot. 
I love raw observations. I found it last week and have been consuming it every day while I am drawing at my table and working on my comics. As a kid who grew up on the 80s and 90s, I love how Rob reminds me of how awesome the world was in those times when he reminisces about his experiences during those times. It takes me back to simpler times and jogs a lot of the memories that are buried in the past. Rob's passion and honesty come across in a way that we can all relate to. As a creator of fantasy comics, it's a no-brainer that the episode on fantasy comics is my favorite. I can't wait to hear his review of more fantasy comics battle chasers in particular since he has such an influence on me as an artist. I also find myself jotting down old back issues when he reminisces about what he loves about certain comics because I want to order them from my comic book store. Thank you. That's what it's all about. Go and give back to your your comic book retailer. Buy these comics up. They want to see you. They want to sell you comics. They want you as a customer. Thank you, Rob, for sharing your stories and experiences with us. It's been great hearing your enthusiasm and genuine love for the comic book medium. Thank you, DJ Kiwa Kane. You I, And again, thank you, Brandon L78. Thank you guys for your reviews. Thank Thanks to everyone who is leaving all these wonderful reviews, supporting the show. Please continue to recommend it, subscribe, download it, spread the word. This is where we meet. This is where we are doing comics today. It was Weapons of Mass Construction, how the original X-Men failed to ignite, and then with a slight reboot, the, the an adding of a classic trope and so many uh, you know, so many knives, so many blades, they rocketed to the top of the charts, okay? Here's the deal. And they became as appealing as all the other books that I was digging on. And again, Batman, good God, under Frank Miller, becomes like a bloodthirsty weapons meister. You guys, I am on social media, at Twitter, at Robert Liefeld. I didn't get the name that was squatted on early on. I'm the full name, at Robert Liefeld. I got a blue check. It tells you that's me. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. Catch me. I have a blue check on Instagram as well. You'll know that's me. If some account... Uh, uh, claiming to be me is contacting you through a DM and asking you for money. That's not me, okay? And it doesn't have a blue check. I have the blue check. Rob Liefeld on Instagram, Robert Liefeld on Twitter. I'm all over social media. I'm all over Facebook. I love talking to you guys. I love interacting. I love our exchanges. It is so fun. Thank you for listening to this show. You guys, we are coming out of this. We are coming towards the light. Every day is better than the, the one before it. I want you, once again, to do me a favor. You are going to take care of yourself. You're going to stay safe. And we are going to talk again real soon.